very privileged today to introduce a friend of mine that I've known and worked with for many, many years. Um, this is Leon Smith and his wife Kay is downstairs speaking in the Mandarin congregation. And um, I met them in the latter 70s when they made mission trips over to visit, much like the six-week trip that uh, we are about to experience over here. Looking forward to you getting back and telling us how it goes. But uh, they began with, uh, that was a new step in their lives as they went for a short summer experience. Both uh, he and his wife have experienced similar ministries to Hong Kong. And through those experiences, God began to stretch and uh, uh, push them in a direction of long-term service. And uh, so today, uh, Leon and Kay have been serving in East Asia for over 30 years, um, just being available to where God would lead. You know, I, today I was thinking how you introduce someone, and I know I always get frustrated when people get up and introduce and say, he has this degree, and he has that degree, and he has this, and he has that. Our focus today is the Lord Jesus Christ. We come together to worship Him. Not to say how much we think we feel good, or how good we are, how important we are. And I can truthfully say, praise God, that that is the purpose in the heart of this man as he comes to share today. And so we welcome Leon as he comes uh, to share God's Word. It is a joy to be here. My wife and I were here probably 13, 14 years ago when we were mobilizing and working with some of the teams that came out of this church uh, as volunteers with us there in Hong Kong. I grew up in Nebraska, and at the University of Nebraska, I began to learn about the Great Commission, and then uh, had the opportunity, as uh, Don mentioned, uh, not only to go to Hong Kong, but those trips came out of a student ministry in the University of Washington. So I uh, spent several years in Seattle, grew to, grew to love the Northwest and this area of the country, and it was during that time that the Lord began to give me a vision to be a light to the nations. And that came out of Isaiah uh, 49, verses 5 and 6. And so from beginning to understand the Great Commission in college, my wife and I had the opportunity to begin to take steps little by little uh, in following the Lord toward living out our life purpose in that context. And I'd like to talk to you today about really the secret, as I look at it, of fulfilling the Great Commission. And if we get a little PowerPoint up there, there we go. Uh, I'd like to uh, talk about four things. First of all, what is the Great Commission? Secondly, what's the secret to fulfilling it? Thirdly, why aren't we getting it done? What's the problem? And then lastly, the solution. What can help us to get it done? So first of all, I'd like to look at five statements of the Great Commission that are in the New Testament. We're more familiar with one in Matthew, but I think that all of these do are different aspects of the Great Commission. The first one here in John 20, verses 20 to 21, says, Jesus therefore said to them, Peace be to you, as the Father has sent me, even so I send you. And I think this is really our model, that God sent Jesus out incarnationally. The Word became flesh and dwelt with us. And this is one reason that even as a student, I lived in the dorms. I wanted to be with the people that I was trying to minister 
or in Hong Kong when we were ministering at uh, City University, we lived as close as we could to it, which was in Sekip May, and there was only one building that was private housing there. And so we lived in a 400-square-foot apartment in order to be close to the students. And uh, it's one of the reasons our daughters went to local schools for the first five or so years. And I was thrilled today to see her principal from those days, just in uh, from Hong Kong. We welcome you. Um, so that's our model. And then secondly, I want to take a look at the end of the Great Commission. And Mark says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. Discipleship, disciple making is not an end in itself. It's a means to the end of replicating the gospel and getting it out to all nations. Church planting is not an end in itself. It's a means to the end of seeing the gospel incarnated throughout the society and people being able to hear the gospel. And the team that I work with now in East Asia, part of our strategy and our vision is that everyone in our city of 10 million will have a chance to hear the gospel. So this is the end of the Great Commission. Then the next aspect, if I point this at the right place, I may need some help back there. If you could help me go to the next slide. The, the next one is really the, uh, the message. There we go. In Luke 24, you can see that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and that repentance for the remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And this is really the, the core of the gospel that we need to get out, the resurrection, repentance, and remission of sin. And, you know, this to me would be a no-brainer uh, 40 years ago, but today in the society we live in here and in the U.S. and increasingly in Hong Kong and East Asia, uh, sin is not a popular topic. If you talk about sin and the need to repent from sin, uh, you can get in a lot of trouble and you can offend people. But it's, it's a core to understanding the need uh, for receiving Christ. So this is our, our message. And then the next aspect of the Great Commission is the one that we're probably most familiar with, one in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. The, uh, the idea of going, therefore, into all nations and making disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And in this verse, you see multiplication, reproduction, because the commission is to go make disciples. And one aspect of making disciples is teaching those disciples to obey everything Jesus commanded us, including the command to go make disciples. And so I make disciples who can make disciples who can make disciples. And just a real quick illustration of this. Um, in the 60s, the man that you see there on the left, Max Barnett, went to the University of Oklahoma, began a ministry among college students there. And he began to disciple the man to his right, Brett Yon, who later went to the University of Nebraska. And he discipled me. And then in Hong Kong, when we lived in, uh, uh, it was in Kwai Chung, I had a chance to lead uh, Jungbok there on the far right to Christ and began to disciple him. And so uh, it was fun. One time Max came to visit us and I introduced him to Jungbok and told him, uh, this is your, your uh, great grandson here in the faith. But there's a reproduction that takes place in the Christian life without which we will never fulfill the Great Commission. 
And then uh, finally in Acts 1-8, we see the power to do it through the Holy Spirit. And then the scopes. And it begins in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is where we live. So your Jerusalem, uh, for many of you, is right here in Vancouver. Judea is an administrative area around where you live. So that might be all of British Columbia, for those of you that are local here. Samaria is a different culture that is somewhat similar. And so for many of you, being Chinese, your Samaria could be Hong Kong. Your Samaria could be China because it's not exactly the same culture as you have here, but it's similar. Many of you speak a dialect of Chinese, and so to go to China and have to speak a little different dialect is like going to your Samaria. Uh, For me, uh, growing up in uh, the U.S., my Samaria may be coming to Canada. So it just depends on where your background is. And then the ends of the earth is a, a different language and culture that you have to really cross and it uh, takes some time before you can get there. But these are just, I wanted to, before I went on, make it clear what the Great Commission was. And I hope that these five verses will be ones that you can yourself do some study and reflection on as you seek to live out his call in your life and be a part of fulfilling the Great Commission. You know, I, let's see here. There we go. I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, I guess. This should say the secret. The secret, not the solution. The secret, I believe, to fulfilling the Great Commission is to abide in Christ. And I appreciate the way you read the scripture there. uh, Where at the end, you said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And you really emphasized nothing. Uh, The word abide means to... Stay in a given place, state, relationship, or expectancy. To continue, dwell, endure, be present, remain, stand, or tarry. And the immediate context that Jesus was speaking was that of a vine and a branch. And it's quite likely that when he spoke these words, they were in an area that had some vineyards, or at least you could see grapes there. Now, I've not had that experience growing up in Nebraska or in Hong Kong. We didn't have many vineyards in either of those places. But I did a lot of hiking in Hong Kong. And one day I was out hiking, and I saw this this branch, and two of the branches had crossed, and they'd crossed long enough that they quite literally had grown together. You couldn't tell where one stopped and the other began. And I thought, what a great illustration of the oneness that we have in Christ and the body of Christ. So the next time I went on that hike, I took with me a small saw and I did what I found out was later illegal, uh, later found out was illegal. I cut that little X out and I used it the next day as a sermon illustration for the oneness that we have in Christ. One of the members of our congregation was a policeman and she told me I I couldn't do that, but (laughs) couldn't put it back at that point. So after the sermon, I threw it into a drawer in my desk and waited until the next opportunity to give that same message, which was about a year later. So I opened the drawer, took it out, and you know what? It was no longer one. It had dried up, shriveled, shrunk, and you could see definite cracks where one of those branches started and the other began. And this is the idea of abiding, that without abiding in Christ, our life 
becomes dried and shriveled up and you can bear no fruit. You can do nothing. And it's really, it's really on in that chapter in verse 8. He says, by this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So the real proof that we're a disciple of Christ and a part of the Great Commission and that whole process of making disciples is that we bear fruit. But we'll never do it unless we abide in him. Paul stated the same idea in a more positive sense in Philippians 4.13 when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I believe that the secret to bearing fruit, which is a key ingredient in fulfilling the Great Commission, is to abide in Christ. Now, there's a problem. The problem is we really don't believe this verse, that apart from him, we can do nothing. And I began to realize that I didn't believe this about a year ago when I was discussing some ministry situation with some colleagues. And we began to talk about the need to pray and fast. And, and we said, well, why are we doing that now? But it's not ordinarily a part of our life. And we realized that this was a situation we couldn't handle on our own. And as I began to think about that, I realized that oftentimes, I walk through life without a deep sense of dependence on Christ to help me. And let, let me just ask you, when you came here this morning to listen and to participate in worship, was your posture, was your sense of dependence and reliance on Christ any different than if you had come to be the speaker or to be one of the worship team? I dare say that it's not normally the case with me. Uh, this morning I got up and from the moment I awoke, I was in a posture of prayer asking God to help me and to just use this time to build up the body and just depending on him. But oftentimes when I go to worship to sit and listen, I don't have that same sense of dependence. But if this verse is true, I should, because apart from him, I can do nothing, not even to attend worship. And so I'd like to give just a little bit of a picture from the Bible of how quickly this can impact us. Uh, this is the story of uh, Peter when Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And I'd have loved to have been there because it may have been that Peter just immediately said it. Or it could have been that nobody really said anything and then they all looked at Peter and so he said this, but he said the right thing. Uh, you are the Messiah. You're not John the Baptist. You're not one of the prophets. You're the Messiah. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Now, it doesn't get much better than that. Jesus has just given Peter a big attaboy and in front of the disciples and everyone. Tremendous praise. And yet, look what happens three verses later. Because Jesus begins to teach them that he's going to go to Jerusalem and suffer, at the, be rejected and be killed, and three days later would uh, rise again. And Peter pulls him aside and rebukes him and says, these things should 
never happened to you. And then Jesus publicly in front of the disciples said, get behind me, Satan. You're not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's. So it went from about as good as it can get. Blessed are you, Simon, to about as bad a rebuke as you could ever get. Get behind me, Satan. And the difference was simply the fact that he set his mind on man's interest, not on God's. He was not abiding Christ. He was relying on himself. He was leaning on his own understanding. He was looking at the situation from his own perspective. And as a result, uh, he was basically no different than Satan was in Jesus' life. Now, I think it's interesting that Jesus himself understood that apart from the Father, he could do nothing. Let me just read John 5, verses 19 and 30. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgments are just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, if Jesus can't do anything on his own, what hope do the likes of you or I have that we can? So I'd like to talk a little bit about the solution. And I think it's fascinating that throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament, you see a similar concept time and time and time again. And I'd like to just go through and share a number of verses here. And I hope that many of these, or at least one of these, will resonate with you. Uh, The first one is from Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you've been raised up with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is, in your, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. In this verse, uh, it's very similar to what we saw when Jesus rebuked Peter. He set his mind on man's interests, not on God's. And here, setting your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. It's a mindset problem. Uh, in this light, I'd like to also suggest in Psalm 143, verse 8. Uh, Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love for you, for in you I trust. Make me to know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Lifting up my soul, I think, is a tremendous picture of setting your mind on the things above. It's, It's taking your mind, your heart, your will, lifting them up to him. And as we do that, he directs our steps. We know what we should do in a way that will be in light of his will. Another example, I think of the same uh, ideas in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so in this passage, it's not simply I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That abiding presence of Christ in my life is the key to walking in a manner worthy of him. And in the same light, 
then Luke 9.23. He said to them all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So again, the picture that I'm not setting my mind on my interest, man's interest, denying that, but setting them on God's interest. Similar contrast here in Romans 8, 5 to 6. For to those who live according to the flesh, set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So again, there's a mindset that we can make between the Spirit and the flesh. And actually, I found that setting my mind on the flesh is not necessarily setting my mind on sinful reprobate, immoral things. It could just be, I don't know about women, but guys, I I can spend all day and not really think about anything. Or I can just kind of go down and go, oh, look at that new building. Uh, Or or things that are just, from a human point of view, uh, reasonable. So setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. There's a verse that many of us are familiar with, Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your steps. I think this is exactly the same mindset that we see in Colossians 3 and Romans 8. That I don't simply walk through life leaning on my own human point of view. But I acknowledge him in all my ways. And then he can direct my steps. From Isaiah verse 30, or chapter 30, verse 20 and 21. Although Lord, Lord has given you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet you, your, your teacher, will no longer hide himself. But your eyes will see your teacher and your ears will hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, whenever you turn to the right or to the left. God wants to give us direction daily in our walk to know what we should do and which direction we should go. And I think a key to receiving that is setting our mind on the things above. And then finally, another similar concept, just a different way of expressing it, is in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, we've grown up in an age where there aren't too many yokes around, so I put one up there on the left or the right side of that uh, screen. Uh, back in the day, you'd have a couple of oxen or horses, and they'd put their head through the yoke, and then they would pull some device behind them. And so Jesus tells us that his yoke is easy, mainly because he bears most of the weight. But if we're going to experience that, we've got to be moving together with him in the same direction. And I think that goes right along with setting our minds not on man's interest, but on God's living to do the will of God rather than my own will. May need some help with the next slide. The question is, how do you do that? There we go. Maybe some practical suggestions. 
I find that I start doing this as soon as I begin to wake up in the morning. When the alarm goes off or the sun begins to come through the window or the child screams or some kind of other noise begins to wake you up and your eyes are just beginning to kind of squeakily, rustily open up. I I find that's a great time to pray and just to commit myself, the day, everything I plan to do, my hands, my mouth, my eyes, my body, to him for his use, to dedicate it to him for whatever he wants to do. And if anything I've planned to do today is not in line with his will, to be express a willingness to set that aside in order to walk with him. And then just ask him to direct me, ask the Holy Spirit to fill me and, and to begin the day with that mode. And if any time along the way I take the reins of my life back, I pull my head out of that yoke, I begin to lean on my own understanding, and I realize that, to just confess it and once again dedicate the day, my life, my body, my faculties to Him. I found that that makes a tremendous difference. And then having done that, to walk through the day listening on two planes. And by that I mean listen to what's happening around you. You interact with people. You see things. You're aware of all kinds of circumstances around you. But also be listening to that still, small voice. The promptings of the Holy Spirit. The abiding presence of Christ in your life. I I ask Him questions. As I'm talking to people, I just in my heart say, God... What do you want me to share with this person? Or is there some question I could ask that could turn the conversation to spiritual things? Is there some verse of Scripture I could pass on to him that could make a difference in his life? And so you're listening to the person around you, but you're also being sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And then as he begins to give you ideas and promptings to respond, to do it. When we first moved to the district of Hong Kong called Sekip May, this was back in the 80s uh, when Kai Tak the Kai Tak Airport, was still in use. And I remember the first day we moved there, I was out on the street when all of a sudden I was in the shade. You know, the, the, the direct sunlight stopped, which for a second felt good, and then I heard this sound and I I hit the ground I thought my life was over there was a plane crashing down we're all going to be killed well then I realized that we were in the direct flight path of Kai Tak airport and about every two minutes these planes would come in like that and so for the first half a day I was flinching a little bit when every time I'd hear an airplane but then little by little I just ignored them and uh, after about a day, I no longer heard those airplanes. They were still coming in, but they had no impact on my life. And I found that the same thing is true with the Holy Spirit's promptings, with the abiding presence of Christ in our life. As he prompts us to say or do things, if we ignore them, our ability to listen and discern his leading comes a little, little less. If I continue to ignore them, sooner or later, I just don't hear him. So it's very important as he gives you direction and promptings to respond. That's part of what it means to abide in Christ, in him to abide in you. 
And it's a real key to making, to seeing fruit. I've also found that it's very important for me at the end of the day to try to set aside 10 or 15 minutes just to reflect and to think back over the day and to try to say, what did I do today in response to Christ's promptings? Was there anything I, I did to deny self and take up my cross? Was there anything that he led me to do that I wouldn't have done on my own? Is there anything, if I had a chance, I would have done differently the next time it happens? Did, did I witness to anyone? Was there any opportunity I might have had to witness if I'd have been a little quicker or said something different so that I can learn and tomorrow be a better witness? And so that reflection time at the end of the day I found is very helpful. I'll normally put some notes down, keep a little journal but uh, that, that can keep us from walking through life day after day after day and deceiving ourselves. I was with my daughter for the last couple of weeks, and I normally get up early and make some coffee. And one morning I got the coffee maker ready. I pushed the start button. I was reading my Bible and I heard this gurgling sound as the water was boiling and coming down through the, the pot. But I didn't smell anything. Normally, coffee has a very nice aroma. And I, I looked over at the pot, and inside the pot was water. I'd forgotten to put the grounds in the coffee maker. It sounded like coffee as it was perking. But it didn't smell like coffee. It didn't look like coffee. And, you know, I found that it's possible to walk through the Christian life in a very similar manner. We can do things, and it might sound like the Christian life to the casual observer, to the friend who's never been around a vital body of Christians. But to those who know, it doesn't necessarily smell like the Christian life, and it may not even look like the Christian life if you can see into the heart or find out what actually happens behind the closed doors of one's house or even see into someone's uh, thought life. And I think that the things we've been talking about today can make the difference between walking through the Christian life, walking through life, looking like a Christian, and actually being a part of helping fulfill the Great Commission. I am so thrilled that you're headed overseas. And I know that this church has sent many people overseas. And I hope that in the coming days, God will raise up hundreds of laborers to go out from here on short-term or long-term trips. But going overseas is no guarantee we'll fulfill the Great Commission. Abiding in Christ, wherever we are, whether that's in our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, or going to the ends of the earth. That's the key. And so I'd like us to conclude our time together just in prayer. And uh, as we pray, I'd like to ask you a few questions for just your own silent reflection and, and give you a chance to pray individually and then I'll close us in prayer. So let's let's just bow our heads as we reflect now. 
Do you ordinarily lean on your own understanding? Or do you think about the things that are high above our thoughts and high above our ways and do them? Do you set your mind on the things above or the things on earth? How often do you meditate on Scripture or see your heart drawn to prayer as you pray at all times? Is it you who live or is it Christ who lives in you? When was the last time you denied yourself in order to be able to follow Him? When was the last time you heard a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, whenever you turn to the right or to the left? What did you do recently to take his yoke upon you to walk in synchronized steps with the Lord? I'll give you just a little time to pray and Perhaps recommit your own life to walking in a way that's perhaps a higher degree of abiding in Christ, being filled with the Spirit, and just allowing Him to do in and through you what you could never do in and of yourself. Lord Jesus, we thank you for giving us such a great example of not depending on yourself while you're on this earth. And as we seek to walk away from here today, I pray you'd continue to teach us how to abide in you. I pray that as the days go on, this church would be known as a place of abiders, folks that just set their mind on the things above, on the interests of God, not on the interests of man, and that their lives are so different as a result of it. They bear fruit, much fruit that remains. And that the relationships within the body would be very reflective of the relationship between you, Jesus, and the Father. And uh, just the love and mutual edification and building up of the body. And as we do that, Father, I pray you'd be glorified and honored and that we'd be careful to uh, take any praise or uh, commendations that come our way as a result of abiding and give them all to you. For you're worthy. We thank you for this time together. Commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.